we do it and I don't finish. Like, Which usually happens when guys are pretty young. They yeah. are just ignorant and so ignorant. selfish. I'm like, uh, so are you gonna like help a girl out? And he was like, <laughs> why would I do that? I have a beautiful naked girl in my bed. And I was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, but let's just keep this between us. And I was like, you know what? We're not friends anymore. Goodbye. I was on Hinge like in November and I'm scrolling and I see this guy from USC and I'm like looking and I see this guy that I like lost my virginity to in his photo and I literally pelted my phone so far. I was like, ah, get this away from me. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. It's me, your host Coco with another episode with a super infiling woman. Inf- what did I say? Infiling? <laughs> with a super empowering woman. Wait, I can't. What does enfiling even mean? Oh my god. Okay, well, welcome again to a Bougie Best Friend Podcast with another guest who's super empowering. That's what I wanted to say, empowering. Maybe I wanted to say inspirational and empowering, and then we got enfiling. So I'm going to submit an application to place that word in the dictionary. Let's put this under uh, immigrant problems bucket. A little bit about the episode. I interviewed Gigi Robinson, and I'm so happy with this episode because Gigi is, first of all, I think the youngest person I ever interviewed. Not that we are such a big discrepancy in age, but she just finished college. She's 24. And we talked a little bit about her college experience and how it actually was to be, you know, in a sorority. And is it really like you see in the movies and how vicious can they get and the fraternities and the social climbing. And it was such an interesting episode for me overall. And I feel like we can implement all of these situations in, you know, maybe your situation today at work or at school or maybe running your own business. It's such interesting to see how people function in these huge settings. We also touched on mental health. She's a huge mental health advocate. Uh, She also is struggling with a bunch of chronic illnesses, including endometriosis, which we shared in common. I feel like we recorded this episode a few months ago when I just came back from my surgery and when I started kind of, you know, recovering. We also discussed her mindset and her work ethic because as I mentioned, she is so... I think that Gigi holds a special place in my heart because I kind of recognized myself when I was, you know, 20, when I was in my early 20s and I moved to New York on my own and I just wanted to make it. I just wanted to see what's going to happen with me. And something she said at the very end of the episode, it's something in a sense like... I am addicted to uncertainty because I feel like it's more exciting and I can absolutely relate to that. Another note, when we were recording the episode, she still didn't launch her children's book about chronic illnesses, but it is now live and I'm going to share it in the show notes so you can take a look. And I think it's so amazing what she's doing. Okay, before we get into the episode, I want to read a review from one of my bougie besties. Okay, one moment, please. I might frame this review because it is epic. Okay. Best dating podcast on the market. Love it already. I love Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Coco is truly one of the most beautiful souls to grace this planet. And her advice has been seriously life-changing. Capital letters. It's helped me end quote-unquote situationships. Know that it's okay and smart to have high standards and to show up every day as the fullest version of myself. 
The guests she interviews are top-notch, and I can't thank you enough, Coco, for putting in all the work to give us these blessings of knowledge. Thank you, Angel. <laughs> this podcast is a must-tune in. This makes me so happy, and I love that you guys love the episodes, so please click that subscribe button. I drop episodes every Monday, and also I'm sharing them on YouTube, so subscribe, follow the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review. It helps it more than you can possibly imagine. The bigger the show gets, the bigger the guests get. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Gigi, welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Hey, 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 Bougie Besties, what is up? I'm so happy to have you here because I realized that I always talk about all these situations and relationships for people that are kind of my age and I'm 31 mm -hmm. and you are how old again? I'm 24. Okay, we're going to focus on your college experience, your content creation experience, and all of the interesting things that I never experienced because I grew up in Croatia. And I always, when I was watching these movies, I always wanted to be in a sorority. I wanted to go to these frat parties and I wanted to like experience that entire vibe. <laughs> and um, I think that you kind of have some experience in that um, section. I definitely do. In some ways, I would say, in most ways, actually, I would say you probably didn't miss out on a lot, but <laughs> uh, a party is a party, and I think we we all can establish that by now. But yeah, there's there's certainly a lot I can contribute. Let's start with the basics about you, what you do, where are you from, where did you grow up? Yeah. So again, thanks for having me. My name's Gigi. I'm from New York City, born and raised. I went to LaGuardia High School for performing arts, and I did uh, visual art there. And then I went to the University of Southern California for my undergrad, and I got a BFA in fine art design and storytelling, and then also got a master's of science in innovation design and technology. So that was a really fun degree. I graduated just this past December. So I'm officially done with school for the first time in my life, and I feel Congratulations. like an amazing woman. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, oh, yes, no more. Um, and I do a lot of work in health advocacy for women and people dealing with chronic health issues as well as chronic women's health issues like endometriosis. And Which we share. Yes. <laughs> I hate that for us, but at least we're in it together. Yeah. Uh, and then I also talk a lot about the creator economy, ways to scale, ways to you know work with brands ethically, ways for brands to work with creators ethically, and uh, just a lot of public speaking at the moment. And I just recently wrote my first children's book. Oh, amazing. I didn't know that. Okay. When yeah. did you start with your content creation journey? I started in 2017. I was a photographer for a really long time. And part of the backstory of why I talk so much about health advocacy is because of my own struggles with chronic health issues, which started at age 11. As that happened, I gave up competitive swimming and shifted into art. As I shifted into art, I found photography. As I found photography, I started learning that you needed to teach people how to be confident on the other side of the lens if you wanted to get a good photo. So I really focused on what it meant to be comfortable in your body and how to pose and what lighting looked good and what camera tricks I could learn technically so I could help other people feel their best selves and love images that would last a lifetime. 
And so as I went into college, I wanted to utilize that in brand marketing campaigns and have my work in, you know, billboards or magazines. I know we also shared that, wanting our work kind of validated by these big media conglomerates or, uh, you know, entertainment companies. And I thought that being in Los Angeles near USC would be the best way to do that. And then when I got on campus in 2017, I decided to join this social media club called USC Reach. And I started posting my photos on my social media more specifically. And then I needed some student jobs. So then I applied to brand ambassador roles, uh, which are really like field marketing positions. They're not the ambassador roles you'll see online that are for like affiliate marketing for like 15% off. No, <laughs> it was like a, a paid you know, job to post on my feed and to host fun events around campus. And throughout my time at USC, I really did like 13 different ambassador roles. And then I also was able to start posting about other things like body image and uh, just confidence in general. Okay, let's talk about your college experience a little bit. Is it really, as I mentioned, I, I did not go to school here. I went to school in Croatia and we don't really have sororities. We don't have frat parties. Our schools are pretty small. Everybody knows each other. How was your college experience overall? Like, is it really what we see on TV? Uh, it's like a little bit yes and a little bit no. I'll start with the yes. I think there's a lot in the American education system that is really, you know, capitalizing on party culture. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things about, you know, university or college in general over here. It's all about what school are you going to? Oh, are you going to a party school? Like, is that, are you going to an a Ivy? And, you know, if you are going to an Ivy, is it one of the Ivies that are easy to get into but hard to stay in? Or is it actually hard to get into? Or did you have connections? Like, what does the nepotism look like? And for anybody who doesn't know what nepotism is, it's essentially uh, when you know somebody in a high place in, in the world and they can pull some strings to maybe get you into a university, which I think we saw in 2017, 2018 with USC and the other college admission scandals. And having been at USC while that was happening to people that paid to get their kids into USC was like crazy because I worked my ass off to get there. Like I come from a very like regular middle class family. Neither of my parents. Um, what happened know, even, to those kids? Oh, they got kicked out. Oh. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, neither of my parents even knew what USC was before I was I mean, like, hey, I guys, didn't I know go. until you told me about your school. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, a bunch of other universities were like included in that whole scandal. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think USC is one of those very historic traditional universities that's been around for over a century. Oh, I think maybe even over I want to say it was like found in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Not 100% sure. So we're going to, I should know this, but I don't. And <laughs> it's okay. You're done with school now. You're, yeah. You don't have two to degrees know. later, I'm like, I'm done. I don't, all of that information, 
gone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, I think I think it's a very gorgeous campus. There's a lot of history there. There's a lot of, you know, legends like Steven Spielberg has come mm-hmm. out of USC and a bunch of other incredible filmmakers and entrepreneurs and so on and so forth. So I think going to a school that also has that legacy was really important to me. And I feel like you could really feel that when you were on the campus, just all around everything was buzzing. Um, and then there's, of course, Greek life, which made up about, I think, 30% of the student body was in undergraduate student body was in Greek life. So what is a Greek like? Greek life? Uh, sororities and fraternities. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's how they're called Greek life. Yeah, yeah, it's called Greek life. And, uh, you know, I think the whole process is pretty wild. I know in the media the past year we've seen things like Bama Rush and the way that it is at these southern schools, which is not fully how it is at USC, but it is a little bit crazy. And it's this crazy process where you go through and the girls literally rate you in the sororities and they talk to you and they schmooze with you and you think you're doing a good job at one place. And then they'll ask you a question like one of the more like they're, they're also like kind of like broken up, at least the way that I personally saw it. This is my experience. So to anybody listening, <laughs> no offense, but this is my experience as a non-wealthy student trying to get into a sorority, which is kind of like a status thing at USC. It's um, a financial privilege. You have to pay about two to four thousand dollars a month. I'm, I'm wow. a, a, a semester, a semester. Oh, okay, my God. That's not that so every much, three months, I mean- though. Every three months, yeah, yeah, though, yeah, yeah. like it's not little. It's, it's not little, especially if you're not living in the house. And you know, it's it's. So this, wait, one second. Yeah. You would have to pay to two thousand dollars, and you just pay for a membership, but you don't yeah. even stay in the house. Correct. Wow. Why yeah. would somebody? I mean, I mean so part of it is this idea that's marketed to us about sisterhood, about support, about leaning on one another, about access to alumni networks, access to, um, you know, jobs, the nepotism, right? You're, you're essentially getting in the door who's an established alumni that you can reach out to maybe um, to have a coffee chat with who works in a role that maybe you want, um, for example. Or another example is uh, – you know, I mean, you can live in the house. It's an additional fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, you know yeah. Let me just, what I was thinking, if I would be able to go to school again, I would actually go, if I, if I would find a way to afford whatever expensive school. Yeah. Just because of these connections and yeah. just because yeah, of these true. relationships, because I see now, like I'm, I went to school in Croatia and my boyfriend, he's American. He went to school in the U S and a lot of his friends, um, he, you know, if he needs a lawyer, he knows who to call. If he needs, I don't know, anybody in the professional space, he has people that he went to school with. Yeah. So that's something that I don't have. Like I needed to create those connections on my own and totally these connections for you guys. I mean, I'm wondering like, how was your experience? Would you say that if somebody who's listening right now and they're thinking whether or not going into a sorority or in one of these like groups, does that make sense? Or... What do you think? I mean, I think I think it's one of these things where it's like life is what you make it. It's like you can either make it really valuable or not. I, you know, just talking also really quickly, just back to the whole rush process, like a question, one of the more like elite, um, you know, sororities kind of looked at what the, the question was, where do you go on vacation with your family in the summer? Oh, I'm like, okay. I haven't gone on a family vacation since I was like 10 years old. I was yeah. like, uh, I went camping with my brother on a road trip. And they were like, 
Oh, how oh, not nice. to San Tropez. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, this is insane. And let me just say, the person that rushed me and their last name had to do with a very big department store out there, not naming it. But I was like, <laughs> holy crap! I didn't realize that that's who I was talking to. And now the question about where I went for the summer makes a lot more sense to me. And <laughs> I think you know other things like what do your parents do. Like, Mm -hmm. that's that that, that's not a reflection of who I am, like, just, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think part of it is just like, again, it's like a social thing. But then there's also people that get in that are like, underrepresented, or maybe like, and then you're like, is that because they're looking for diversity? Is that because of all these things? So sororities can be very problematic. Another thing, though, on the note of life is what you make it with the sororities is my house mom at the time was a career coach, and I found that really valuable. I also was bullied, and I had a crazy roommate in the apartment I was living at, so then I moved into the house. So I was paying rent, and I was paying rent in the house. Wow. Like, I was paying two rents, but the house mom was really great. Like, she took me under the wing and was like, of course, you can live in this, in the room up on the third floor. <laughs> I felt like Cinderella. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like an eight-bedroom suite, and I was the only one living there with all my stuff from my apartment. Like, I was just by myself. It was honestly a great gig. Mm-hmm. It, it was like four different bunk beds. It was a whole thing. But long story short, like, not everyone got that opportunity, and that was because I was like, you know, just like nice. And I was like, I really need the help. And then she mentored me for a bit. Um, I got bullied by a bunch of girls and that was really shitty. You know, I would be doing my art homework at the table or in the living room and the girls would literally like get up and leave like in Mean Girls, like when I came and sat down and I was like, literally what? Like, I haven't done shit to any of you. Like, I'm just trying to be nice and hang out with you. And my current friend, one of my best friends who's like all over my social most of the time is Danielle. And she is from my sorority. And um, we became friends mostly after, but she was like one of the only nice people to me who was genuinely nice and was like, what are you doing? Can I sit with you? Can I keep you company? And I'm just super grateful for that. Um, In terms of other things I've gotten out of the sorority. I think, you know, if you do serve on like leadership councils there, you're able to leverage that as skills for, you know, work, works and and jobs and stuff. Um, But I haven't really gotten a lot of other good experiences out of it. Mm -hmm. I would also say the access to like more parties and more boys, like girls can get into pretty much any party they want, first of all. And second of all, I just don't really fuck with the way that the Greek life system works, especially with guys. Like, I'm not trying to put them all in a bucket, but a lot of the time, these guys are just, like, looking to just, like, hook up with as many girls as possible, say really mean things, not be really nice. The The bar is so low. Um, <laughs> a lot of the time, you know, you'll be at a frat and there'll be the girls that are, like, super tall, blonde, and skinny, and... As a, you know, shorter, thicker girl that was a brunette, you know, I would get, like, freaking elbowed. I would get stuff poured on me, like, by accident, like, just so that I would get moved out of the way. And the girls would get in on it, too. Like, at tailgates, I would get completely spilled on by somebody bumping their cup into me to the point where it would make me move out of the way so that they could get closer to a guy. Like, literally, this shit happens, and it sounds like I'm describing a movie scene, but it happens. <laughs> I was about to say, I can't believe that college in the U.S. is actually very similar to Mean Girls. Oh, it's it's horrendous. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe, maybe it is because I went to USC, a big Pac-12 school. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, 
USC is one of the bigger sports schools. It's uh, it, I think the entire undergraduate student body was like four thirty thousand, something like that. No, the entire okay. yeah yeah forty two thousand undergrads. So I want to talk about the hookup culture. Yeah, when you're in your twenties and yeah. going to college. Yeah, how was that experience for you? Yeah. So, I mean, just on that whole note of not fully loving guys that are in frats also has to do with their lack of respect for women, I think. And I'm not really sure where it goes because a lot of them, for the most part, hopefully were raised by a mom and hopefully have sisters or cousins that are women that they respect, but they join the frat and it's just like completely out the window. Um, I think there's, I mean, I know at USC, but a lot of other schools, there are severe issues with sexual assault. Um, it's almost the norm. I think, you know, I have just had so many experiences where I've been talking to my girlfriends and it's like, yeah, this happened to me. Like I was like groped at a party or I was like drugged at a party or I, you know, I was assaulted or a guy pressured me into doing something. And I think that this really adds to the hookup culture in a negative way. And it is also really affecting the way that women have relationships with men because it's all we know. We're like mm -hmm. going into our early 20s and we're like starting literally below what the bare minimum is with guys being like, yep, if you want to have sex with me, it has to be my way. If you want to hook up, it's on my terms. And it should be the other way around. And so, you know, also being in these sororities, they are they have this thing. Let me just explain this because it's really crazy. It's called Monday Night Dinner. So you're mm -hmm. you're in your sorority house. It's between four and five thirty p.m. on Mondays, and you have to go and you have to be present and you have to wear a black dress. You can mm -hmm. only wear black. And it's like a very Thanks. formal thing. I'm, yeah. I'm wearing black right now. I did it. I wasn't. It's. It, isn't Monday? <laughs> it's Thursday. <laughs> but you you go and there's like a fully catered dinner by the house chef and the sorority or the fraternity boys come in. Usually they send pledges, which are the newest, latest class of uh, men pledging to be in the house and they come and they deliver you what's called a delivery which is essentially like they'll be like oh like like we'll be eating and then they'll they'll come in and they'll like be like i have a delivery for Gigi," and i'm like oh dip tea candle thanks no, just kidding. Um, the most <laughs> the most of a delivery that I got was like some freaking Halloween candy. Like I got no deliveries. But the whole point of it was to kind of flex and show that you were socially in the know with the guys. And like depending on what frat house you were like hooking up with at the time, it would show the other girls like your kind of like superiority over like, yeah, like this guy from Sig Chi or like this guy from Lambda versus if you had someone from like Sammy, it was like, like it says something about you. And okay, so wait, let me, yeah. let me just see if I got this right. So you guys have <laughs> these Monday night dinners. Uh, and then these guys who are trying to become a part of a frat, they yeah. come to your sorority and yes. then they bring a gift. But yes. did, what kind of gift is it the, usually? Usually like candy, cake, flowers, chocolates, um, you know, candles, sweatshirts, really anything. And what will happen is the older guys who are in the house will send gifts and the younger guys have to do it because it's kind of like a little bit mm -hmm. humiliating like they yeah. have to dress up in suits and like emasculate themselves or like do a dance sing a song 
as they're delivering it. Like it's was wild. It, did did you have similar pledges to get into a sorority? Because I always um, saw these like frats, and then yeah. you, they're actually humiliating guys. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. movies again, I didn't go to school yeah. here, but um, so guys do. Ha- they also had like dinner early on Mondays during that time, and the new sorority sisters, um, like the new sorority pledges, would have to go and do the same thing. But usually, it was like less annoying because we didn't give a fuck it was like you don't have to send a delivery Mm -hmm. to someone but for at usc the guys had to and Mm -hmm. it was just it was just so ridiculous and then it just made me feel so awful (laughs) because i would never get any and i was like oh my god like maybe i'm not popular which like i didn't even care about i was just like i feel like not like I know I'm hot shit, but compared mm-hmm. to these other people who are getting all this attention from guys, clearly I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's that. But outside of Greek life with hook hookup culture, I mean, I think it does extend all throughout, like, undergrad and just, you know, our society, unfortunately. But I know that, like... I want to. I don't want to. I don't want to call it a regret because I think every time you lose your virginity, I've never actually told my virginity story before, so this is kind of okay, cute. Totally. But like, just like <laughs> it was, you know, I kind of felt pressured to just like get it over with, and I did it with this guy who like I was friends with, and he kind of knew, and I knew, like he made it like, oh yeah, like this is all that it is, and I was like, yeah, that's fine, like I just want to get this over with, kind of thing, and I was like, he's mm-hmm. my friend, like I'll feel comfortable, and. Basically, like, we do it, and he, and I'm, like, I don't finish, like, I don't know, like, he just... <laughs> Which usually happens when guys are pretty young, they yeah. are just ignorant and so ignorant. selfish. And I'm like, uh, so are you gonna, like, help a girl out? And he was like, <laughs> why would I do that? I have a beautiful naked girl in my bed. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, we're friends Whoa. and you're saying this to me? And he's like, yeah, but let's just keep this between us. And I was like, you know what? We're not friends anymore. Goodbye. Um, and yeah, I was on Hinge like in November and I'm scrolling literally this past November and I see this guy from USC and I'm like looking and I see this guy that I like lost my virginity to in <laughs> his photo and I literally pelted my phone so far. I was like, ah, get this away from me. So anyway, um, I think I think that happens a lot and it's really unfortunate and I, I it's not that I regret losing it to a person that wasn't really significant in my life like shit happens I just I wish I didn't feel the need to like go out of my way just to like get it over with because it didn't add anything to my life you know Mm -hmm. so you would say that there's a lot of pressure when it comes to like hooking up and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but I want to talk a little bit more about the sexual assault on campus and if somebody is going through that what is what are the resources available or what can they do because i'm sure there's a lot of these like popular guys maybe athletes or some mm-hmm. guys who are rich or you don't want to say something so you don't get into their you know yeah uh, you, you don't want to rough any feathers or something like that yeah. but at yeah. the same time something happened to you that's not okay and what what would you do in that situation yeah you know I think most universities have something called Title IX, which protects uh, women and sexual assault survivors on campus. However, I don't necessarily think that there's enough awareness about what it is, how to approach it, how to know your rights, how to communicate that, what to do. I also know at places like USC, 
Um, unfortunately, if you are assaulted and you need to get like a rape kit done, the help center on campus will actually send you to the emergency room four miles away and they like won't pay for it. You have to like get there yourself. And it's just really unfortunate that even within the own university, even if you do everything right and you go and you try to get the rape kit done, you're still going to be fronting a medical bill from an emergency room that's not covered by your health insurance with the university. And then there's all these other things like shame. And like you said, a lot of places like USC and the other Big Ten and the Pac-12 and all these really, you know, established schools and all other colleges too. It's not like it doesn't happen there, but at these mm-hmm. bigger ones where like you said, like some of the guys are going to go to the major league football, baseball, basketball and they're going to be kind of like athletic celebrities. And mm-hmm. what are you going to do as a woman? Like are you going to join in on the Me Too movement and have your word be against his because for the most part, the university will either likely And I say this gently because I've seen it happen, not necessarily at USC, but other big schools like this. They will pay you to shut up and leave the university, meaning you Mm -hmm. can't get a degree from there. Like, it's like kind of like it's kind of like severance. Like, hey, here's some money for you to leave and to keep your mouth shut or And he's going to stay there and he's going to be living his best life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fabulous. Or it'll blow up into a whole thing and you'll be in the news and it'll be a whole scandal and, you know, your name will be tainted and that could affect where you want to go in the workplace or who you're going to be with in the future. And I think as a woman, that's a huge weight that we have to carry. Um, I'm not saying doing one thing or the other or let me just say being quiet. Not saying Mm -hmm. anything at all. Not telling people about it, right? I think all of these options are things that women think about. And on top of that, there's the shame of talking to your friends and family with victim blaming being like, well, Mm -hmm. you weren't watching your drink. It's like if somebody's prerogative is to roofie you and Mm -hmm. to take advantage of you, there's nothing that you can do to stop that. Mm-hmm. End of story. No, victim blaming is insane. And probably some people are going to be like, well, you asked for it. You were there with him. And, this, right. and I just want to make one thing clear. Yeah. When you are not just in your 20s, any any age, if you're with a guy and you maybe you just want to cuddle, maybe you just want to kiss and make out. Right. And if he even if he starts saying like, come on, we're both adults. Yeah. What are you, why are you pretending like you don't want it? You know you want it. Come on. Like, I like you. We, we're in such a good space. Whatever. If any guy, if any any time somebody's pressuring you into having sex, that yeah. is the biggest red flag red on flag. the fucking planet. And just get out of that get out of that situation immediately because whatever he's yeah. saying in that moment is not going to happen. If he's promising you that he's going to be your boyfriend just so he can sleep with you or whatever. No. I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. It happened to me many, many, I mean, not many, many times, but like it happened in my life that I was, I thought I liked somebody and they were pressuring me into something. And then yeah. they obviously ghosted after they got what they wanted. So I right. never want this to happen to anybody. And it's just a horrible, disgusting feeling, but it's not your fault. Yeah, it's not your fault. And also, whatever decision you make in sharing or not is completely valid and it's yours. 
Um, I think that's another thing that women usually carry around is like, well, I never told anyone. I regret not speaking up. And you know what? If you didn't follow the steps to necessarily like get the evidence, then unfortunately, it is his word against yours. Um, and the reason I say that is because usually the men are the ones that get away with it. And it's just, it's, it's so unfortunate. And I know at USC, there were a bunch of, uh, kind of like, I don't want to call it like a protest, but like a lot of women, um, and, and men that were in, of support kind of went out after there were some assaults last year and they staked out and all the girls wrote, um, they wore different things that they were assaulted in. They wrote things that were said to them. Um, they wrote what happened. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's extremely emotional and also, so heartbreaking that this is something that we're still dealing with. Mm -hmm. And why aren't these fraternities taking accountability to teach these men what isn't isn't okay? And why, when we know which students have done what to which women, why are those guys not being kicked out of the fraternity or being on academic probation? I mean, there's no consequence for men. There's not. <laughs> and that's part of the problem. You know at what university. I saw? I saw there was a college in the UK talking about Andrew Tate and how he is not a good role model no. because a lot of no. guys in that school, I guess, were talking about him and they were like praising him. So there was an actual class talking against him. And I was so yeah. happy to see that. That was that was I'm happy wild. to hear that. But it's yeah. it's, you know, it's it's also just something that like, I think at least in some workplace environments, a lot of times men will be like, oh, well, you're overreacting. You're taking this out of context. You said mm -hmm. that it was okay. You said, like, yes. And sometimes, I mean, I I've luckily been seeing some things on, like, Instagram more and more and TikTok of, like, guys being, like, anytime, like, I or, like, even, like, uh, just, like, on I don't want to call it comedy, but, like, just, like, those, like, Instagram bros mm -hmm. that think they're funny are, like, one of my rules is, you know, if a woman is drunk, like, in any way, I will not have sex with her, even if she says yes, because she may mm -hmm. not remember. And mm -hmm. if there's any inclination in your mind that something's going wrong or that you, you know, shouldn't – you don't want to, then then don't. If you're going to regret it, then you don't want to, then – then no, don't do not do it because you never want to be in that situation. Yeah, I just want to add here that if you're in a work environment and you are feeling uncomfortable, somebody's, I mean, I heard crazy horror stories and a lot yeah. of girls write to me and they're like, my boss is even sending me flowers every day and it's just so awkward and weird. And I, weird. I hope that they are in a company where they can just go to HR and do mm -hmm. something about it. But the point of what I'm trying the what I'm trying to say right now is that if this is happening to you, if you're uncomfortable, it's absolutely not okay and you should do something about it yeah. because you shouldn't deal with this every single day. You shouldn't go to work with a pit in your stomach and you Right. That's just not okay. And yeah. And I think yeah. another thing that's really challenging, especially about being on a campus, is like you might have to walk on your way to class at the place or past the place mm -hmm. where you were assaulted. You might need to sit in a room, in a classroom, or in a club meeting with somebody who did that to you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's almost like, what kind of judgment do you want from other people? Are you going to get judgment or support? And 
what side are people going to take? It's just mm-hmm. – it's it's so unfortunate and it's – I don't know why universities don't take it more seriously and why there's not measures in place to really educate these young men because I don't understand how they can't understand. No. I mean, I'll tell you why. Because probably their families are donating a lot of money to the campus. I mean, I watch oh, a lot wow, of surprise. SVU. <laughs> so that's yeah. usually what the case. Okay. Um that was very insightful mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um I I my college experience was totally different. I yeah. pretty much didn't even go to class. I mean, I did go to class, but I never really studied as much as my other friends studied and they were always I was always working since I was a, since I was 16. I was always, you know, hostessing or nightlife or whatever I was able to do. And then I would go to a test and I would get A's and my friends were always like, how, how you don't study at all. I just, I just know what I need to know. Yeah. And then I kind of finagle my way through that. Totally. Okay. Okay. I want to talk about uh, body image a little bit. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in their twenties, me included, when I was in my twenties, I, I was super insecure. I didn't know who I was. I was validating myself with all these external things like, you know, a fancy bag or shoes or all these other things, but I was actually really insecure in myself. And since you are an advocate on, you know, positive body image and stuff like that, I would love to hear where that came from, first of all, and how, how is that developing now? As some of you may know, a few months ago, I accidentally discovered a cyst on my ovary and I had to get it surgically removed. Now more than ever, I'm really staying on top of my health. And I don't mean just trying to eat healthy and exercise. I'm adding supplements to my life to prevent any unnecessary health issues. My goal is to just stay happy and healthy. Speaking of happy, I'd love to introduce you to Happy V. Happy V is a wellness company committed to creating scientifically sound products and educational content to help women lead healthier and more empowered lives. Doctor-formulated vaginal probiotics that can help balance your vaginal pH if you experience bacterial vaginosis, yeast infections, UTIs, low immunity, gut or digestive issues, they got you covered. Happy V puts science and facts first, using clinically studied ingredients in their formulas, and they're here to build a stigma-free world and start an open dialogue about vaginal health. You can check out their products at happyv.com and use code HAPPYCOCO10 to get 10% off your order. Again, that's happyv, V as in vagina.com. Yeah. So as I mentioned uh, kind of at the beginning of the episode about my passion for photography and confidence and learning how to pose, it honestly just happened so naturally because I had to – I was doing a lot of self-portraits for homework at the time and I was also just – I think just learning how to, you know, take good photos and always get a good shot and help my friends get good shots. And as I did that more and more, it was just easier for me to be like, yeah, like, here's what you can do to feel more confident in a photo. And then I kind of started translating that into like the real world where it's like, okay, maybe you feel confident in a photo. Maybe you look confident in a photo, but maybe you don't feel it in real life. So what are the action steps that you can do to really shift that mindset? And a lot of it comes that it does come down to mindset and a lot of people aren't willing to do the work on mindset to really think about like okay when does my body feel best 
when does my when do I look my best and when do I also feel my best, right? Um, I'm not saying you can, you know, if you look your best in a red carpet gala gown, then like <laughs> obviously you're probably not going to do that every day. But, you know, in college, I was also dealing with eating disorders, um, just being in Los Angeles, I call it the LA effect. I'm sure it happens mm-hmm. kind of down in Miami a little too. Just everyone's yeah, everybody's thin perfect, and perfect, <laughs> yeah. And I just think that you know, going through that, you're what like 18, 19, 20, 21, and you're around all these gorgeous blonde, tan, skinny people with expensive things, and it's really easy, at least for for me at the time, was easy to kind of like let that be something that affected my self-worth for a little bit, where I was just like, I really thought I was confident, and then I was around all these gorgeous people that were, again, hooking up with more guys than I was, which, again, is a pressure that not that it's right or wrong. I think people will do what they're going to do, and I think that's great, but they, you know, would just do that. And it would feel like something's wrong with me if I'm not doing that again, back to the hookup culture. And then it was like, if you're eating a certain way, if you're not eating as many salads, if you got a sandwich instead of a salad, like, oh my God, if you got a smoothie instead of a juice, like people were so maniacal about details and just being like trying to to be as thin as possible. And I just think that that was so toxic at the time. Um, And so I was dealing with that and I was dealing with my health issues getting progressively worse and I was taking medication that was making it nauseous for me every time I would take it so I wouldn't want to eat and then I wouldn't eat and then I would drink coffee and then I would like lose a bunch of weight just because I wasn't fucking eating and Mm -hmm. that was something that was normalized. I mean another thing that was normalized on campus was like burnout. It was like, you know, hey, how are you doing today? oh, I'm, like, dying. I have so many things going on. Like, I have X, Y, and Z, and I'm just, like, I, I'm not going to sleep tonight. And, like, why is that normal? And, and then that, you high-five each other, and, and you're like, yes. oh, my God, me too. I'm so yeah. fucking tired. And it's, like, that shouldn't be the norm. Like, we should be focused on teaching wellness and self-worth and self-development, not on, you know, nonsense like things that are just taking up our time, keeping us busy, like these <laughs> sorority Monday night dinners or like anything mm-hmm. like that. It was just, it was, it was really hard. And so, um, as I was dealing with these health issues, I started documenting my journey and posting about it on the internet where I started seeing other women dealing with it. And then I got sent home with COVID and I basically just kept doing that and showing people that like, it's okay if you know what, during COVID, you had to go back home and you live with your mom and dad again. And maybe they're Mm -hmm. commenting on your body in ways that they did in high school. And maybe they have all the food available that you want during COVID that is unhealthy and not like your own personal diet that you did at school and maybe you're gaining weight and maybe they're going to criticize it again. And so how can you still feel good in that environment? And that's what I kind of really started to look at and post about online. And the rest just snowballed. And now I'm Mm -hmm. here doing it full time. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your health situations if you're comfortable. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with EDS, uh, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It's a connective tissue disorder. I like to describe it as if there is a rubber band that's stretched out and there's no elasticity left. So it can't really help support your joints like a normal rubber band would. It's too stretched Mm -hmm. out. And so 
I would get really like injured left and right. I just had so many injuries back to back. And I grew up in New York City around the best healthcare. I was able, you know, I had the medical privilege to be able to get diagnosed at a young age and get the resources that I needed to really do well. But I dealt with people being like, you're not sick. You look mm-hmm. perfect. You're beautiful. Like you're you're too young to be in pain. You're too young to be on all those medications. There's no way. Like you just are addicted to, you know, medication. And I'm like, ew. I can't believe an older person would say that to me. And I unfortunately dealt with teachers not believing me and friends not believing me in school. And that ultimately led to, you know, my career as it is, which kind of sucks, but (laughs) it sucks that that's the culprit. No, it's, I mean, it's just your story. Yeah. And um, I guess just on, on top of that, it just really was... You know, something that just I I knew I couldn't be the only person dealing with these pressures from society, from other people telling me that I had to look a certain way or because I looked a certain way that something was, you know, definite. I'm like, just because an apple looks perfect on the or an avocado Mm -hmm. looks perfect on the outside doesn't mean it's ripe on the inside or maybe it's overripe, (laughs) you know? And I think that that's kind of what life with a chronic health issue is like. And then I, you know, was dealing with severe, severe back pain for years and years and years and they always said oh it's because your your back muscles are you know loose and you know your hips are loose and you need to keep doing physical therapy and go to water aerobics and this and that and it ultimately ended up being endometriosis all mm-hmm. over my pelvis and my bowels and I'm like geez like I wish and I had that surgery two months ago and it's just like oh my god like you know, I'm so grateful that they found it because the earlier they find it, the the better it is for you in terms of protecting and preserving your fertility. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be going away forever. Uh, at the same time, one in 10 women deal with it. It's a very common issue, but it is very serious. And I think that it just... It was a lot for me to kind of process all of that, but as I have shared with a lot of people with the press, with my, you know, social media, just people are feeling less alone in the journey Mm -hmm. to finding that diagnosis. And I think that's probably one of the most gratifying parts about the work that I do. Yeah, I honestly, when I got diagnosed with my endometriosis, I was surprised when I when I started sharing it online, how many people were writing to me and telling me how they had dealt with it or they their sister, their cousin. And I had no idea that it was so and I'm the type of person who is very into health and wellness and self development. And I, I thought I was really aware. And my I mean, I'm going to have a whole episode on uh, vaginal health and all of that, but it was crazy for me that I didn't even have any symptoms. And I mean, my, my, um, cyst was the size of an orange. Like that's humongous. It's huge. How, how how did I not feel any pain? I was mind blowing, but I, I, I'm just happy that it brought more awareness and people feel less alone. And I mean, my surgery was, I think um, exactly a month ago. Yeah, today it was a month ago. So funny. And I feel fine right now. But it's something I'm gonna have to deal with, I guess, for a long time. And I'm 31 now. And it might, you know, my fertility, I I don't know where I'm at right now. And I'm gonna probably go get checked with uh, my egg count or whatever I can do. But I mean, it's, it's not something to be taken lightly. Absolutely. Uh, 
I want to talk a little bit more about your career. And I mean, you are so young and it seems like you're already killing it. <laughs> tell me, tell me <laughs> more about you. that. First of all, I, I still like, I'm so impressed by your LinkedIn. I told you this <laughs> the first time when we met, I'm like, can you please just like do my LinkedIn? <laughs> I don't know. Like it is like, it just looks so well done. And I think a lot of people who are, Gen Z or younger generations, they're not taking work as seriously. Like they want to be, you know, influencers and uh, TikTokers or whatever, but they are not willing to put in the work. And I really admire that you, you do put in the work. So if you can speak a little bit on that and like your mindset and your processes when you are setting yourself up. Yeah. Well, like, thank you. And LinkedIn is probably one of my favorite platforms. I just love the ability to be, you know, connected to founders and CEOs and CMOs and the people running global companies. And um, I mean, like the one of the global heads of like culture at TikTok, like messaged me and I was like, what? How do you know me? <laughs> like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I think that like you would never, not not that you would never meet them in person, but the likelihood of having access to those kinds of people is, in my opinion, far less, especially when it comes to the influencer marketing world into knowing uh, the people running accounts at different agencies, uh, you know, being responsive to them, always inviting them to things, staying open to different projects and making their job easier. Like if you are a, a person in the influencer world that um, as a creator, if you are responsive, if you respond quickly, if you get your content in on time, those kinds of things, and somebody at the PR agency re representing the brand that you want to work with sees that and they can tell that you respond easily, you're far more likely to get offers for different companies in that agency's portfolio, which I think a lot of people miss out on by being late, by forgetting things, forgetting to submit deliverables and um, I think, you know, a lot of it is learned, but I always have had a sense of urgency where I'm just like, yep, I gotta get shit done. Like, I'm just busy. I have to go. T like, it's time to bust out those emails, send as many pitches as possible, set up the shoot date, just like go. And I mean, I did have like a, you know, as a art major, you have a lot of planning involved with creating art and working on a deadline of being like, okay, we're starting this project and it's three and a half weeks long. Um, so you have approximately 24 days to get this project done from start to finish. How are you going to do it? And what are you, what do you need to do to get there? So I've always been that kind of, I, I want to call it type A, but really creative where I'm able to be like, okay, I need to rent out a studio. Or if I can't rent out a studio, how can I use materials in in my house to make that work. And I just think it's like being resourceful wherever you can. And then I was always a kind of person that would ask questions, befriend the teachers, like learn from them. Like I was, if there was a teacher that was actually really passionate, I was always like interested to get office hours with them and be like, how can I actually do better so that I can excel in your class? It wasn't about like, oh my God, you're so extra. It's so annoying. It was like, mm -hmm. I actually really respect you can you teach me how to be more like you that's a pro tip for any young listeners that mm -hmm. are students teachers love themselves and they just want to be seen and validated <laughs> so if you so do this is that, an amazing tip honestly yeah if and if you do that like i promise you like you're not only going to get a good grade, but it's going to show that you put in the effort especially if you take their advice and you run with it and then after that 
they can say you're a success story and then you can come back as a guest speaker or a mentor to their students three, five, ten years down the line. And you could be a case study for something that gives you a whole new audience of people to look at. So that's happened to me with a bunch of my design teachers and my high school teacher and, um, you know, stuff like that. But it also works the same way in the real world where um, I get lunch a lot of the time with the people that run the accounts for different brands that I collaborate with. And as I do that, they expose me and they vouch for me for other projects, again, within the portfolio. So it's all about nurturing curiosity and then just always putting your best front forward. I was about to say this advice is you can implement it in any aspect of your life. If you feel like you can learn more, it, there's no shame in asking somebody for help. And as you Absolutely. said, like teachers, teachers or your boss or somebody who is your, uh, if you're reporting to somebody, just coming to them and ask them, what is the, how can I learn to be better? Prepare me for, I don't know, like just teach me your ways. And people love to feel important. And they, I mean, not feel, they are important and you are there to learn from them. And I know that, that's something that you and I share. I was yeah. always very curious and I just want to ask questions and I want to totally. know about people and it's coming from the heart and it's actually really genuine. I actually want to know how did you get there? And yeah, I mean, there's no shame in asking. And I yeah. remember when we originally met, like I was just so impressed by, you know, you were on all these publications and TV and I mean, you are young. It's It was just so refreshing to see that somebody... That yeah, I mean you're not yeah. so young. Don't don't get me wrong, but like, you know, I was just like, wow, this is a hard worker. And I mean, you also had something with Sport Illustrated. Like you were on, I don't know, on all these. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. How did that happen? Yeah, um, I honestly submitted through their online casting call last year through the swim search, and my mission was to elevate the you know the voice of people dealing with women's health issues, women dealing with chronic illness, and as I did that, I just was you know so honored to be able to be that voice and that representation for women. And I showed up and I didn't retouch and I didn't get M sculpt or, you know, you know, do anything crazy to my body. Not that any of that is wrong. It's just a choice that I didn't, I didn't want to alter my body. I wanted to show up exactly how I was. And uh, that's how a lot of women dealing with health issues do have to show up just as they are. They, they don't get to work out. They may be, um, you know, they, they might not be fit, according to like media standards, but they're fit in terms of being able to be active, being able to do as much as they can. And so that was kind of some representation there. And I, I think ultimately, I have just always gone for what I've wanted. I think the worst that can happen is it doesn't work. Uh, one of my my team mantras for, you know, my my business is, with with the women that I work with is fail fast learn faster. And I think I like part that. of that <laughs> is really about if you make a mistake, it's okay. Like, but let's figure out a way to pick up the pick up the pieces and do something better or not make that mistake again. And I think I've been like that with applying to internships. I mean, when I was in college, I was applying to hundreds 
hundreds of internships. I didn't have an internship scheduled for my junior summer and going into my senior summer of college uh, or senior year uh, until the end of May. And it was working at the Aerospace Corporation, which was an aerospace government FFRDC company focused on aerospace research. And I was doing photography for them. You might be like, what the heck? That makes no (laughs) sense. And for me, at, at one point, I was like, you know what? It doesn't. But at another point, working for the government is going to give Not me bad. a lot. <laughs> it's going to give me a lot of security clearance and credibility if and when I want to work for an entertainment company. And so then when I got my internship at Paramount and at Warner Bros., they found it really interesting that I had that specific, secure, trustworthy quality where the government could trust me, and at the same time, they loved that I did social media because it was a new form of media that they could market on. And this is in 2019 going into 2020, so nobody really knew how to market movies on TikTok and so on and so forth. And so I think it was really cool to be able to then get where I wanted to go because I took an opportunity and I took a chance on it working out. And I leveraged it and I marketed it. And a lot of people just don't know how to shift their language and make it apply and make an experience applicable to uh, an ultimate goal that I think they want to get to. And I mean, it, it just during COVID, I ended up working for an agency that uh, the team at Warner Bros. had contracted to make a TikTok, like, a uh, movie campaign ad for as I worked for that. Then I got connected to a bunch of beauty brands as I did that. Those beauty brands then worked with me once I was, like, full-time freelance. Like, it just the, – the snowball effect of taking an opportunity and just allowing it to happen is the best thing that you can do if you're able to let go of that – certainty aspect of things. Some people are like, I need an internship by May 1st. Mm -hmm. I need a job by this date. For that, for me, I was like, if I get one, (laughs) it'll be the right one. Um, You know, and so on and so forth. And if, if there's an opportunity, it'll present itself. And I'm really addicted to uncertainty because I think it's more fun. It's like the chase, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I just think it's, it's all about chasing what you want and figuring out how to get it. Uh, But I apply it to my life, not men. I don't chase men. Come on. (laughs) Absolutely. We don't chase men. No, this is amazing. And I think that a lot of people who might not be in college, they can just implement this advice and this mindset. And just, you know, it's it uncertainty is very fun for me too. And like what I remember when I moved to Miami, I got a place for six months originally. And then obviously I've been here for two years. Yeah. I was like, what's the worst that can happen? I can just go back to New York and I can just, you know, it's, it's my life. We have one life and people often forget about that and they just live on autopilot and they just let everybody else control their day to day. So I'm very happy that you shared your story. And No, yeah, this is this was an amazing conversation and I I learned so much about the college life. Oh. And yeah, no, and like how to deal with some very uncomfortable situations and Yeah. I would love for all of our listeners to follow you, check your page, and just share all your socials. Where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me at It's Gigi Robinson everywhere. My website is ggrobinson.com, and my name is Gigi Robinson, which you can Google and read more about me in the press. What is next for you? 
Next is I um, am launching a children's book and I have some speaking and some event uh, hosting that I am doing over the next few months. And I hopefully am going to start writing a adult kind of novel memoir thought leadership book. Um, I, I did a lot of research for it during 2021 and then I kind of put it to rest all of last year because last year was just so crazy and fast moving that I just needed to like chill for a sec. And now um, that I have the children's book coming out, I think it's finally time for me to articulate my thoughts for adults. So um, I'm going to be working on that and just some really cool sponsorships um, and just ebbing and flowing, uh, revamping my podcast, Everything You Need Is Within, and as always, doing fun new series on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Amazing. Well, I'm going to link everything in the show notes and I'm going to keep an eye on that children's book and I'm going to gift it to any of my friends that have children. (laughs) Oh, thank you. So sweet. Thank you, Gigi. This was amazing. And thank you everybody for listening. I will see you next week. Bye-bye.